This call is being recorded. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your Washington Bureau Chief for News Talk Florida. Joining me from New York, Alan Steinberg. From the Tampa Bay area, Tom Jackson, and of course, Joe Henderson. All of us writing for NewsTalkFlorida.com. Speaking of which, Alan Steinberg, Tom Jackson, and Joe Henderson all had a take this week, and I, I urge you to read them. Wonderful stories on Colin Kaepernick, the San Francisco 49ers quarterback, at least for the moment, who chose to sit down during the national anthem, and he either was praised for it or drew the ire of fans and uh, of uh, the National Football League. So tell you what, Tom, we'll let you get uh, your take first in on this very interesting uh, Kaepernick situation. Well, Jim, thank you very much. It, it, it's the Colin Kaepernick thing. I continues to boil, and I think it'll be fascinating. Uh, apparently, uh, Kaepernick will be the starting quarterback for the 49ers in their final uh, preseason game and their final exhibition game in San Diego, of all places, which is everybody in, in America knows is a huge Navy town. I can't wait to see the response of people who uh, are, are patriots. And and uh, affiliated with with affiliated with the Navy, respond to Kaepernick again planning to sit down during the national anthem. Of course, he has made his his uh, his reasons clear on that, and I don't care what his reasons are. He certainly has his right to to exercise a little uh, civil disobedience, and uh, that's I guess that's that's what he's doing. I think a lot of his reasons for for sitting down are not supported by facts and statistics, but nonetheless, perception is reality. My take on this has been that he has every right to exercise his First Amendment free speech access and do what he wants to do during the national anthem, and fans have every right to extract a price for that, and if that price is is booing and jeering and setting his... uh, setting his jerseys on fire, presumably not while he's in them, then fans have every right to do that as well. And I think that the NFL is going to have to make a call. I mean, to this point, they've never had a rule that said you had to stand up for the national anthem. They, they encourage it, but they don't enforce, They don't make you do it, don't make a player do it. Um, I, I think that if the, I think if the NFL sees this as, as a situation where a player is damaging what they perceive as their image, their brand, uh, they're going to sit down with the players' uh, union and hash out some sort of rule that says, yeah, you kind of got to stand. Could be. Joe? Well, I uh, agree with my colleague uh, on uh, Colin Kaepernick's right to civil disobedience, civil protest, if you will. I wouldn't have done it. I don't think a lot of people would have done it. Uh, But it comes down to kind of uh, almost a showdown between his personal beliefs and uh, what the NFL loves to call the shield. And if you go to an NFL game, as I wrote in my column, you're going to be inundated with patriotic themes from the football field-sized American flag they unfurl before every game to the military flyovers and and in many cases, an elongated version of the national anthem, particularly if you were at the Super Bowl. So uh, the NFL has sought very hard to identify with, with patriotic themes. Uh, 
uh, they a lot of times they will they will have uh, military personnel uh, reunited with their families or shown on the on the jumbotron at, at certain breaks. So this is a, a really a, a public relations problem for the league, and it kind of comes down to does he have the right as as a citizen to protest? And he unquestionably does. Does he have the right as an employee to do the same thing? That's a little murkier. And um, I would also point out just real quickly that uh, I was watching the HBO series Hard Knocks with uh, the LA Rams and their coach, Jeff Fisher. And this was before all the Kaepernick flap. And he goes on, they're getting ready for their first exhibition game against the Cowboys. And he uh, somewhat at length was instructing the players how they should stand during the anthem and and reinforced to them that, look, this is very personal to me. Uh, you show respect, and uh, this is the way we're going to do it here. So uh, I don't think that this is an issue that's going to go away quickly as much as uh, the NFL would like it to. I agree that they do need some sort of ruling. Uh, so it's got to be a collectively bargained thing, I'm sure. But uh, this is bad news for the league. It really is. On this, the Politically Incorrect podcast, you just heard from both Tom Jackson and Joe Henderson, and uh, they wrote columns. In the case of Alan Steinberg, Alan, you decided to write an open letter to Colin. Why don't you give us a, a feel for that letter? Uh, yes, I wrote this letter because I had a certain uh, empathy for what he was doing. I always like when an athlete is willing to risk his endorsement future, his career for principles he believes in. And I give Colin Kaepernick uh, credit for being concerned about the uh, plight of his fellow African-Americans who are living in ghetto areas and may be subject to discrimination in police practices. And he's also concerned about uh, the levels of poverty and the impact of racism otherwise in these areas. And I said he had every right to sit down and uh, his uh, decision should be respected. However, I also said that I felt he was making a mistake judgment by doing that and that he would be hurting his own cause. And I gave a historical perspective. In 19, a lot of my life has been involved in the civil rights movement. And in 1968, I strongly defended what uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith did at the Olympics when they raised their fist uh, during the national anthem. It was a demonstration of protest against American racism. And that was a virulent year of racism in America. You had the assassination of Martin Luther King. You had the assassination of Robert Kennedy, who was the white politician that African-Americans trusted the most. Uh, you had the uh, violence in the uh, various cities. And so uh, I thought that what he, these two athletes did was warranted. And you also had at that time uh, my hero of sports, Muhammad Ali, who was uh, not allowed to practice his craft. His license had been taken away without due process of law, his license to fight. So I totally supported Smith and Carlos. I feel we're in a different time now. We still have racism. We still have problems. But we have made a lot of progress. And I felt what Kaepernick should do is follow the example of Jackie Robinson, uh, stand during the national anthem, but continue to call attention to situations of injustice and inequality. 
What amazed me was the re- – and I also uh, – there's been rumors that he has converted to Islam, and I defended him on that and said just as I, an Orthodox Jew, can practice the law of the Torah, he should be allowed to practice Sharia law. And the reactions I got were just unbelievable. I mean, I had one person sending me an email saying that I'm a, a white person ridden by uh, meritless guilt. I had a uh, very left-wing person send me an email saying that basically – that Jackie Robinson was an Uncle Tom and that how things are still terrible in this country for African-Americans. And I had a third person uh, who uh, said, how can I compare uh, the practice of Torah law with Sharia? So what all this told me is uh, it brought home something. For many years, I've thought that things are getting better in terms of race relations, but this presidential campaign has really brought to the surface the fact that we still have terrible uh, divisiveness in this country regarding race, and the responses I got proved it. I think, guys, one my takeaway on the Kaepernick thing, and I, I was the only one of the four of us didn't write about it. Um, sorry, folks. These guys wrote better than I did, trust me. Uh, is that we are not speaking at all about the issue that Colin Kaepernick sat down for. We're talking about, and for the past two days, the national discussion has not been about the issue of Black Lives Matter or whatever you know Colin was trying to espouse. It's been about Colin Kaepernick. And so if he was attempting to bring light upon the issue, he couldn't have done it in a more bizarre and, and ill-advised way. So I think, you know, um, I wish him well. He's not a bad kid. And uh, one thing that you do know, and all three, all four of us here have covered sports, I'm not so sure that you, that you want to be the starting quarterback on the, on the uh, final game of the preseason because that normally doesn't necessarily mean you are the starting quarterback. <laughs> for the football team uh, going into the starting season. So, you know, among the many things that Colin Kaepernick has to to fight, and, and some of them are social, uh, one of them at this point could be professional. So, uh, perhaps we should move on from there, guys. Uh, how about Tom and, and Joe? As we look tonight's uh, vote, you know, primary night in the state of Florida, uh, Rubio, Debbie Wasserman, Schultz, um, those are two names that on a national basis are uh, up against it in primary situations. What do you think is going to happen to the two of them as they uh, head into some uh, murky waters here uh, in the primaries come tonight uh, in Florida? We'll start with, uh, Joe, we'll start with you on, um, uh, I'll give you Debbie Wasserman, Schultz, and then we'll give Tommy a uh, uh, the situation with regard to uh, Marco Rubio here on the Politically Incorrect podcast on NewstalkFlorida.com and BlogTalkRadio.com. Go ahead, Henderson, you're up. All righty, appreciate it. Um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is going to win tonight, uh, barring something really none of us uh, can foresee. She was up 10 points uh, in a poll last week against a challenger, uh, Who's, who's really kind of unknown, um, but uh, she had um, 
what's the what's a nice way to put this? Is is she's going to win, but she really, to me, is going to lose uh, unless she somehow wins by a greater margin than we expect her to. And uh, I think a ten point win for her is really not all that comfortable um, heading into uh, November. It speaks. She's she's probably going to win re-election to her her house seat. What's it going to be like for her when she gets to back to Washington? She's been run off the stage at the uh, at the DNC. She's been under attack by pretty much all sides in her own party, and and now she's facing really uh, a pretty interesting uh, primary challenge. So. You know, I think it's a very murky night for her. She'll win, but it's kind of like a yay type of win. Um, I can't, I can't detect any real enthusiasm uh, in her corner right now. So it's kind of like what we say in sports: winning ugly, huh? Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, and people would tell you there's no such thing as an ugly win, but she's up against a guy named Tim Canova, and he is a uh, a law professor at Southeastern University. And he has gotten a lot of money into his campaign. And what he's done is he's come out with a series of attack ads against her, including tying her to Big Sugar, which in South Florida, you know, with all the algae bloom and everything else down there is a really big issue. And uh, fortunately for her, she is in a district that seems to be safely drawn for a Democrat. But after this thing is over, she's going to have to really assess uh, a lot of things. And she might benefit. I think she probably would benefit by a Hillary Clinton win this in November, uh, maybe get a favorable committee assignment or something like that. But uh, right now it's choppy waters for her. Is Canova the gentleman who um, was a Bernie Sanders um yeah, he's he he's been a big Bernie. Uh, he kind of came at 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 uh, Wasserman Schultz with a lot of the same arguments Bernie has. He's attempted uh, to paint her as, <clears throat> excuse me, as basically a tool of of big money, and and that's that's not a a label a Democrat, particularly a very liberal Democrat, wants. And and yet she's having to fend off these attacks, and. I, it really has has damaged her. I think her standing in the national party has uh, has been greatly diminished throughout this process. Okay, Tom. What uh, what about our buddy Marco Rubio? Senator well, if, I, Rubio? if I'm if I if I may add one more thing Ooh, to, to what to, to, to Joe's recap of the uh, the DWS race, mm-hmm. uh, he's right that a that a that a Hillary win might be the best thing for her you know you could almost see a circumstance a, a scenario where she vaults from the house of representatives to be to take some role in uh, a, a a clinton administration the the caveat to that though is that there's already a pretty substantial and will remain a a republican advantage in the house of representatives and the, they don't want to lose that seat if she gets appointed to a position in the Clinton administration, 
then that seat will be filled until the next election or until a special election can be arranged, as I understand it, by the sitting governor, who is a Republican, Rick Scott. So she just might find herself stuck in a place that she is downright unpopular. And for those of us who are big fans of schadenfreude, uh, good for her. <laughs> so uh, – uh, re- regarding Marco Rubio, I, I think that the Joe in past podcasts has said it quite well that uh, that Marco, after having said that he was going to be a private citizen uh, come next January and reversing himself at the last minute, chasing all of those Republicans out of the primary except for Carlos Baruf and a couple of other guys that I had never heard of until I went and looked on my ballot today and voted um, – Joe says that Marco needs a huge landslide win. He needs like a 50 to 60 point win. I think that's probably right. And I also think that's probably where he will wind up. I I think that there is a, that there is uh, an awful lot of buyer's remorse right now regarding Donald Trump in the Republican party of Florida. And that will be reflected in a, a huge win for, for Marco Rubio, whether that means that he will then have momentum going into November. I'm just I'm not sure that that plays out. I think it's 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 the uh, it's the Mitt Romney etch a sketch. You turn the thing over and shake it all up, and you go you go to war again with most likely Patrick Murphy, uh, the guy who has uh, who has a resume that does not stand up to scrutiny, and has been uh, boosted in almost everything that he's ever done by his dad, who now wants to. To buy him a seat in the in the U.S. Senate. To to Murphy's credit, though, um, he said that if he's elected the senator from Florida, the junior senator from Florida, he will serve his entire term. And and Marco has not committed to to doing the same, which tells me that you know Marco might have those same itchy feet about still being the young man in a hurry uh, if he wins in November. So there you go. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Charlie Chris because there are people who love to find out what Charlie's doing, what party he's in, and what he's running for this time around. So anyway, uh, with that in mind, if you guys would be so uh, kind as to inform me, uh, how is Charlie going to do tonight? Well, well, Charlie's got the night off. Uh, He's running – Oh, he's uh, without opposition. Yeah, he has no opposition in the primary. And he's uh, going to kick back and watch uh, to see who his opponent's going to be. And it's almost certainly going to be uh, David Jolly uh, in a newly redrawn district. Now, David Jolly uh, is an incumbent Republican, but his district uh, was redrawn and it to, to more or less favor a Democrat. And the interesting thing about Jolly is that He's a moderate Republican. Tom, would you agree with that? Moderate? That's, yes. He's possibly sort of a left-leaning, uh, in, in many ways, Republican. But yeah, moderate is as is, is good a term as any. And so he he goes on 60 Minutes back several months ago uh, with his complaints about having to spend too much time at the party's direction – raising money. He claims it's up to four hours every day that the, that the party bosses build into his schedule uh, where he has to go make all these cold calls to beg for money. And he introduced a bill in Congress, which of course went nowhere, to stop it. Well, the result of that, uh, Politico reported 
uh, a week or two ago that the Republican National Committee has basically left uh, this sitting Republican congressman uh, on his own, that they have not um, lifted a finger to try to help him. Now, I think that that uh, is a warning shot across this bow, because if they you if you ask any of the Republicans who would you rather see, uh, David Jolly or Charlie Crist, I think we all know what the answer would be. <laughs> so, I, he's going to win his his uh, his primary fairly easily, I would think. And so, when all that's over, then the, the it'll it'll be a, okay. Come to the principal's office and and get your stern talking to about what you how you've been carrying yourself. And I would I would look for the party to throw some resources behind him. But right now, um, he's not the most popular guy in the party. No. Nope. One of the other things that's going on, we'll get Alan in this one, Arizona tonight. Uh, it's going to be a late night in Arizona. John McCain faces Kelly Ward. She's 33 years younger than he is. He's going to turn 80 on Monday. She's used sexism and ageism to her advantage and doesn't think that he's, um, he's too old, frankly, for a sixth term. And... Uh, Right now, they're within the um, within the margin of error in the latest poll. Is John McCain in trouble? Will he win? Will he lose, guys? I think he's going to win. Uh, I'm not out there. It's hard for me to evaluate an election uh, when I haven't really paid too close attention. I'm just reading the polls on the various websites. Mm -hmm. uh, he claims that his internal polls have him way ahead. This election reminds me years ago of the uh, election for a U.S. Senator in 1980 in uh, New York State. Uh, Al D'Amato won the primary over uh, Jacob Javits, and he won the primary by directly, really uh, skewing uh, Javits with the slogan, at 78 and in ill health, he wants another term in the U.S. Senate. And Javits lost that primary. And then he uh, ran as an independent. I think he was on the Liberal Party. And he lost the general election to D'Amato and uh, the Democratic candidate, former member of the House of Representatives, Elizabeth Holtzman. Uh, so Kelly Ward's message is not without appeal. I'm not uh, in, in sync with her message. I happen to be an admirer of John McCain. Uh, but it's difficult. Sometimes that message uh, can have an effect. Although it doesn't appear that he has any uh, serious health problems. Uh, but Arizona is an interesting state. Uh, there's a real chance. Uh, I, I think that uh, Trump will carry Arizona. Uh, but it's not impossible for uh, Hillary Clinton to make a serious challenge. Well, speaking of Arizona, tomorrow Donald Trump is going to uh, be in Tempe. And he's going to talk about... Uh, some changes he's made in his uh, immigration stance. And after this break, we'll step aside and pay a few bills. You're listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast on NewstalkFlorida.com, BlogTalkRadio.com. Alan Steinberg, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, I'm Jim Williams. We're going to return after this break. We're going to talk a little bit about what we might hear tomorrow in Tempe, Arizona.
Welcome back to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, along with Alan Steinberg, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson. Just prior to the break, we talked about the fact that a big speech is coming up tomorrow. And that big speech is in Tempe, Arizona. It's going to be held 9 o'clock Eastern time, 6 o'clock local time. And uh, it is finally going to be Donald Trump on the record as to what exactly his stance on immigration is going to be. And um, Alan, any thoughts on uh, what he's going to unveil tomorrow out in uh, Arizona? I don't have a clue. Uh, However, it does seem that uh, there is a cult of personality that has been built around Donald Trump uh, this entire past year where his supporters uh, are basically Kool-Aid drinkers, and they'll allow him to do anything. So they're willing to give him uh, some, uh, quote-unquote, softening movement towards the center. So if he moves at all, I would think he would move towards the center, but I'm not sure. You never know what he's going to do. What I find to be just ludicrous in his approach is this uh, core principle of building the wall. That is never going to be built. And there's an underlying reason for that. Even if the public was overwhelmingly in favor of that, and most polls show the American public does not favor the building of the wall, uh, there are a number of irrigation channels and uh, water movement that goes between uh, the United States and Mexico. So building a quote-unquote wall is, is almost uh, impossible, environmentally uh, speaking. But he'll keep talking about it. Oh, we're going to build the wall so big, and we're going to get Mexico to pay for it. Uh, I think that uh, it shows how gullible any American can be if they believe that. Tom Jackson, you have a theory on what he's going to talk about, and it 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 really is a good Florida theory because basically you feel he's going to come back to uh, to embrace the thoughts of two people that you're familiar with uh, in former Governor Jeb Bush and uh, present Senator Marco Rubio. He is adopting more and more of what looks like the post-Gang of Eight plan that Marco Rubio seemed to favor, and that was the bifurcated approach to immigration, and that, and that is begin with absolutely securing the border. And then once you have done that and have demonstrated that to the American people, then you come back and you talk about what to do with all of the uh, all of the illegal immigrants who are here and not causing trouble and are with with in every respect being good non citizens of the United States, being productive, being uh, kids go to school. I mean, I have met so many of the kids who go to school up here in uh, in Pasco County, north of the Tampa Bay area, who are the 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 children and the grandchildren of migrant workers, and they are in every respect U.S., practically U.S. citizens without the documentation and their and their dreams and aspirations of what they would do if they were ever documented are, are inspiring, in fact, but they are also heartbreaking, and I think that that's where the American people are as well. They, that's not where the – that's not where the Republican – electorate was during the primary season that that clearly was a different brand of uh, of gop cat um but i but i think i will not be at all shocked if his if donald trump's approach to immigration tomorrow is 
very much what what Marco Rubio's was because all along they've been talking about the same sorts of things that that Trump threw out a week or so ago, and that is um, they're not they're not necessarily going to get citizenship. They are going to have to pay bad back taxes. They're going to have to pay fines. They're they're going to have to get in line, that sort of thing. But we're going to but we're going to find some sort of way to get them uh, legal status. Trump during the primary season said that's soft, that's soft on immigration. But look here, he's already talking about how soft he's going to be. That there's going to be softening, um, and and I, I, I that's that if I had to to lay a bet is where my bet would be, that he's going to be Marco Rubio light. Joe, uh, as a fellow progressive-ish like myself. Ish. Ish. <laughs> as I said, ish. I said ish. ish. I gave that the call. Yes, you did. You did. You did. Um, is there, I mean, obviously they're tacking this way to appeal in hopes of appealing to um, you know, moderates and, and other potential independents that are out there, votes that are, you know, in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia and other places. Is anybody in their right mind going to believe that he actually changed from building a wall and deporting 11 million people to suddenly becoming a, a more cuddly person who thinks that maybe there's a way to do this and do this fairly? Well, uh, my short answer on that would be no. Um, I attended a Trump rally <clears throat> during one of his appearances in Tampa. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a, a sellout crowd of over, over 10,000 and I sell out tickets for free, but it was, a, it was a packed house. And uh, at as happened in a lot of Trump rallies, uh, at one point, the crowd began chanting, build that wall, build that wall. Those are the people who got him the nomination. The build that wall crowd are the ones that pushed him through the primaries. Now, the Donald's surrogates, as they like to say, there was a story in the Washington Post that his surrogates are beginning to talk about it not in terms of a physical wall, but uh, more of a virtual wall, whatever that is. Uh, and that it comes, with, really it comes do, with goggles. It comes with yeah, five so. goggles. Yeah. Maybe that's it. And, you know, it's a video game or something. I don't know. Um, but you know what? Uh, Barack Obama campaigned on closing Guantanamo. He said that was – Day one, he was going to close Gitmo. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's I think it's still open. So, uh, you know, if Trump can somehow manage to walk that teeny tiny tightrope between I'm really tough on on immigration, but you know, turn to the other group and say no, I'm really not that tough. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be compassionate. He might pull it off, but. Uh, you know, you were asking about what uh, what he's going to announce tomorrow. Um, is it supposed to be windy tomorrow? Because my hunch is he's going to put a wet finger in the air and see what <laughs> see, see what's going on and 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 decide at that point. What do you think, Tom? Well, here's where. Go ahead, Alan. Here's where I think he's going to fall short. The whole objective right now, the Trump campaign, 
is to do something about the demographic that includes white, that basically consists of white college educated, because that's where Trump is really being very badly damaged. In Pennsylvania, the margin uh, of uh, Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump ranges between seven to nine points, and that's all because of white college educated. In Virginia, white college educated has been the decisive factor. And in North Carolina, which was carried by George Romney, excuse me, Mitt Romney, that shows how old I'm getting, uh, Mitt Romney in 2012, it's the white college educated voter that has Hillary Clinton ahead. So this is what their whole strategy is based on. But I think if Donald Trump makes a sharp move, I don't think it's going to help him with white college educated. I think they're going to feel that, uh, you know, he's just being slick. And uh, I think that uh, they that is, this is a situation where uh, he really is not going to be able to attain his objective. I think that uh, it's a situation uh, where he will keep his base. Uh, but uh, I think that the, the white college educated, quite frankly, was turned off by Donald Trump a long time ago, and he's going to have a hard time turning them on. Tom Jackson, you uh, do you agree with Alan on that one? Oh, I think that that's exactly what his target is: is to make um, the the white college educated voter that has not gone Democrat in what since before Eisenhower uh, comfortable with voting for for Donald Trump. And I mean, I'm not going to say it's in, it, it's a mission impossible, but he's going to have to do he's going to have to show an awful lot of of uh, ability to deliver this message consistently over a period of weeks, and it will be fascinating to see what sort of blowback, if any, he gets from the people who put him in this position to begin with on that constant message of we're shipping everybody home. We're going to have at least touchback immigration reform, and uh, and we're going to build the wall. I if I'm not sure if it's I'm I'm not sure that it's possible to lose to lose those people because. Anytime I have a discussion with him, it all comes down to, yeah, but he's better than Hillary. So I, I got a feeling that he's not going to lose much of his base if he does it all. It's just Alan's right. The, it's an uphill climb to try to, to win back over those people who, are so, who, are, who consider themselves sophisticated and nuanced and, and easy to fool. And they, I think that they're going to see themselves uh, being played for, for fools at least early on. Now, Trump is going to a, a black church in Detroit. Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about uh, Trump has this message of outreach to, the black, uh, to, to black voters, but he's not doing it in the black community. Well, guess what? Now he's going to a black church in Detroit to attempt to, to, to make that same pitch, and so we have to figure out another, uh, another way to discredit him, uh, discredit that outreach. I'm I'm all for Republicans of any stripe reaching out to the minority community and saying, although I don't think that Donald Trump can, that conservatism has an awful lot for you if you are willing to to, to give it a try. Um, his Trump's Trump's uh, appeal, what do you got to lose? I'm not sure that cuts it. Well, Tom Jackson and Joe Henderson, Alan. Steinberg on this the politically incorrect podcast guys um, we're about to wind things up because um, we have 
one later in the week and we'll be able to reflect on it because we will have heard by that time. We'll also be talking a little bit about Hillary Clinton's uh, sudden drop a bit in the polls and things tightening up. So we'll have some some fun stuff to talk about. We hope you've enjoyed what we've spoken about today and we've covered a lot of ground in a reasonably short period of time. But uh, let's go to last call on this, the Politically Incorrect podcast, uh, which is being heard on NewsTalkFlorida.com and BlogTalkRadio.com. And um, uh, since Tom just spoke, I'll let him get his wits about him. And we'll go to Alan Steinberg for your final thoughts here today, Alan, on uh, on what you've seen and, and what you expect to see over the next couple of days. I think the uh, idea of a significant drop in Hillary Clinton's uh, margin is overstated. Most of these polls, she's only dropped by uh, 2%, which for the most part is within the margin of error, And uh, except for the Monmouth poll, which is a highly credible uh, poll. But you never see – you see her number go down at times when she has bad news. You never see Trump's number come up. So I continue to feel that, uh, especially if you look at the state-by-state polls, that she remains the overwhelming favorite to win this election. Joe? Yeah, I, I... – Alan kind of uh, was reading my mind on that. It's uh, there have been some polls out that that recently that suggest you could spin it that that Trump is gaining ground uh, nationally, but in the battleground states he he really isn't. And I don't know how uh, in in many of those states he he can cut into that lead. Now Florida is still competitive, but he needs to win more than Florida if he wants uh, to win the White House. And with him in trouble uh, in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, blah, 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 uh, his path to the White House is still very, very difficult, uh, which is is why I'm sure he's trying this outreach to the black community. But he's polling, what, like 1% uh, overall in support there. So that's a pretty steep hill to climb. Just for history's sake, and we'll go to Tom Jackson here in just a second. When um, the last that uh, George uh, Wallace ran for president, last time he ran for president, he polled 3% of the black vote. Just for There history. you go. All right, Tom, you're up. Well, now for something completely different. There was, there was titillation in the astronomy world over the weekend when uh, – Apparently, there was something that seemed like a coherent radio signal coming out of the out of the firmament. Uh, and, and for a moment there, we were thinking that this is a possibly a close encounter. Now, uh, astronomers are saying, yeah, maybe not. The, the, I mean, SETI was the the, the, uh, the, the the people who monitored this stuff were excited for a minute. But now it, it, that it was a, that it was an interesting candidate to study. But it's looking like it's not so much a um, a real radio signal as something that is just a a bizarre collection of radio waves. And I but but the, the but the idea that that we could get excited about something uh, several light years away from us and and think about the cosmos and something greater than ourselves, I think is a is a fine place to put ourselves as we as we lurch toward. Uh, Labor Day weekend and the actual beginning, so-called the traditional beginning of the of the real election. Um, so something to think about. There's stuff bigger out there than us. 
That's true. That's good. All right, Tom, tell you what, do me a favor and uh, tell everybody how we can get in touch with you on social media. We know we can read you at uh, News Talk Florida, but how can we catch you on social media? Well, you can find me on Facebook at uh, my page, which is Tom Jackson, Journalist Entrepreneur. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Thomas Jax, T-H-O-M-A-S-J-A-X, Tampa. Joe Henderson. Well, you can find me on Facebook at Joe Henderson Commentary Columns and such, or you can find me on Twitter uh, at the initial J Henderson Tampa. And Alan Steinberg. I'm on Facebook at uh, Alan Joel Steinberg, uh, and on uh, Twitter, I'm at A Steinberg613. And uh, I love getting the uh, Twitter uh, feedback from uh, you, uh, Jim, and also from Joe and Tom. We're part of a piece, all of us. There you go. Well, I'm Jim Williams. You can find me on Twitter at NTFLA underscore politics. That's NTFLA underscore politics. Facebook is uh, NewstalkFlorida.com Facebook, and um, you can find us all on NewstalkFlorida.com. And uh, our podcast here, The Politically Incorrect One, on NewstalkFlorida.com and on blog, talk, uh, blogs, uh, talk radio. Com. So uh, by all means, follow us, and hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. And as I said before, coming up on our next one, we have plenty to get to. We'll be able to review Mr. Trump's uh, speech on immigration, check in on uh, the email situation with Ms. Clinton, and I'm sure there's more than a few things that will pop up between now and then. We hope you enjoyed this one. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>